0: The challenges. The challenges are that business is your life and life is business. So no matter where you are with your family, business is always gonna come up. It doesn't matter, you're at the dinner table, doesn't matter if you're at a family event, doesn't matter if you're at a public event, if business comes up, business comes up.
1: Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Glory Media, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from each other, the question remains the same. What's your mission? As you know, this is um, a live recording of our podcast, Mission Critical Live, The Bold Conversations, which is presented by VovClicquot, where we talk about Mission and purpose, and the entrep- uh, entrepreneurial journeys of today's greatest leaders. Um, before we dive into things, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our wonderful venue that has been such a gracious host tonight. Um, a big round of applause. Um, the new and beautiful Canopy by Hilton Yorkville, Toronto, for hosting us this evening, and of course, Cleco for presenting. This series they are an incredible partner of ours this is an ongoing partnership that we have through mission Critical live um, and uh, you know it's it's really just to continually champion women in the community and celebrate um, business excellence community excellence and so um, that is manifested through this series but also through the bold of Clico awards and this year will be the ninth edition of the awards and the winners are currently, uh, in the process of being determined. In the meantime, Vogue um, would like to share that they have built the first open global database for women entrepreneurs bringing together individuals from across the globe through an open and collab- uh, collaborative database. So this is actually a really incredible opportunity to connect with other women entrepreneurs across the globe, uh, across industry and across community to open up opportunities, open up or just open up communication lines um, and and opportunities so um, you can access that by going to boldopendatabase.com if you would like that link afterwards just let me know I'm happy to email it to you or let you know but I do encourage everyone to check it out share the the word and and um, and check it out Um, now without further ado I'm so excited to introduce this evening's guest please welcome business mogul and real estate powerhouse Ritu Gupta How are you tonight? I'm
0: good, how are you?
1: I love your jacket. Thank you. It's very festive. Thank you so much. (laughs) Opposite color palette from this evening in the atmosphere, I guess. But um, We're so, so honored to to have you and to be able to chat and to be hosted at this wonderful new location of yours. Um, Now, Ritu, you're a bit of a multi-hyphenate. You're an activist, a philanthropist, co-founder of Rogue Insight Capital Limited president of the gupta family foundation and ambassadoress of the gupta group what does an ambassadors role entail what what's the scope of everything that you oversee at the company
0: Sure. So I chose this title last year, and I still don't know what I do, to be honest. I'm asked this question all the time, and, you know, they'll, they'll sit me down. They look me right in the eye, and they say, it sounds so important. What do you do? And I really have to think quick on my feet because I don't know. To be honest, <laughs> I chose the title for myself. I'm joking. So for, for me, for ambassadors, I'm sure you hear the word ambassador all the time. There's an ambassador for the RAPs. There's an ambassador for countries. And whether they're male or female, it's always ambassador. So for me, I thought, you know, there's not a lot of executives, female executives um, in the executive mm-hmm. world. So I thought, no, I'm going to give myself a very female title of ambassadress. And my main purpose is to represent my family's best interests. Um, so I also want to sort of expand the businesses that we're currently in. And for me, that I didn't want to have a typical title of CEO or CFO, I've I've kind of run that gamut. So this way, I kind of have the freedom to do whatever I want, which is And it's a title important. that
1: you can just mold and is versatile and, exactly. and kind of... Uh, you know, adapts as, you know, business and market conditions also can adapt too. So you can mold it the way that you need to as the business grows.
0: There you have it. That's exactly it.
1: Um, Let's talk about your journey as an entrepreneur. How do you think you learned to be an entrepreneur? What was your first experience like seeing and understanding like what entrepreneurship even meant?
0: Absolutely. Definitely my dad. So watching my dad, you know, growing up, he was always in many different businesses. And the one thing that my dad would always do, because he drove me to school, is he would tell me about all of his dreams as we drove to school. And um, so actually our entire business started. Have, have any of you been to Port Hope? You, oh, wow, there are so many nods. That makes me so happy. <laughs> That's where we started our business. So there's a truck stop at 401 and Highway 28. That's where we started. It's, it's, I don't know if it's still called Easton's if anyone's been there recently, maybe. So it was called East Ends when we purchased it, and that's where we started our business, and it was just a tiny little truck stop. We would go there as a kid, and my dad would say, you know what, I'm going to build a restaurant here, and lo and behold, two years later, that would be done. Then he would say, I'm gonna build a hotel here, and again, a few years later, that would be done. So for me, entrepreneurial, I mean, it might be my blood, but it's also what I just grew up seeing, and thats it's just been so inspiring, and I feel so blessed to have had those opportunities.
1: And I guess having, being surrounded or growing up in an in an environment where that encouraged you to dream big really has been able to is, has been something that you've been able to manifest throughout your own career as well how what does like dreaming big mean to you today i guess compared to when you were growing up and seeing your dad talking about that?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. So when I was small, um, we had a, so we had choice hotels. We had a lot of hotels comfort in quality in Peterborough. So one day, I think my parents won a trip to go to a choice hotels convention. So it was the first time I got to go to Florida. And we were at the Marriott World Center, which is right by Disney World. And there was a long driveway with palm trees. And I, my dad still tells the story, which is really embarrassing. He'll tell it at conferences, and it's so embarrassing. Um, but apparently, at the age of five, I told my dad that one day, I'm going to have a big hotel with palm trees and a long drive. Way. And I'm pretty sure at our hotel opening, he told this exact story so for this <laughs> hotel. Um, so I think for me, in terms of dreams, I definitely want to expand the empire into the States, hopefully in India, globally, as well as into other businesses.
1: Yeah, and there's definitely a few things that I want to touch on uh, throughout this interview, but it's also not about even just building the the tangible business empire, but also the influence that you're able to uh, imbue through putting people into positions of, of decision-making positions and people of color people women and making sure that 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 is represented in in larger decision-making positions within the industry as well i want to touch on that later but first um what was your first job like and what did that teach you was it with your under the family business, yep. or how did you cut your teeth originally?
0: So it's interesting. We started working way you know before labor laws were even a thing. So I was I was five and I could speak English and they just sent you to office. Um, so all my friends you know they get to go outside, they get to play. But as soon and it was so strange too because we never you know I never clued into it. The second school was done. My dad would tell me there's a problem at the office. You have to go to work tomorrow. And you you know I don't know if it's just a brown thing. Sorry, it's because it, when when I mean my generation, you listen to your parents. The generation now—they ask questions, they argue. We were not allowed to do that. They say, "You be somewhere, you go." Yeah. So I had to be the office. I was five years old. I'm am I answering phones. I still had a baby accent. Don't know why that was allowed. I was filing. I remember I, I had paper cuts everywhere, and I'd be embarrassed. And I'd try to hide it. And there's like a blood trail. Sorry, it's super graphic, but this is this is what I was doing as a kid. I was kind of just doing a little bit of everything. Um, then we opened one of our hotels in Peterborough and I was working in housekeeping. So we were opening the hotels. So I was making beds and putting in light bulbs, and I felt really special because I felt like I was making the rooms guest ready and it was just so exciting.
1: Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, growing up uh, within, you know, the environment of, uh, you know, people that have immigrated to Canada, that really just teaches you about hard work and just having to get things done and regardless of what the circumstances are as well.
0: Oh, 100%, and again, I don't know, I shouldn't say this is a brown thing, so I'll say this is just my parents' thing. They definitely (laughs) worked us really hard, and education was so important. Good marks are really important. So you could come home and you're so happy you got a 95, and my dad would sit me down and say, okay, well, what happened to the 5%? where did where did you go wrong and now you're sitting there thinking like i thought i did really well but it's interesting because now i mean i'm sorry in the room, we do it to the hotels you're at 98 percent occupancy what happened to the two percent it's right. it's just it's genetic it's now it's just i don't know we're just give, giving this other message to other people but i think it really taught us as well to learn from mistakes to say, okay, so I lost that 5%, but why? And, you know, as a kid, it was kind of torturous, but as you got older, you don't realize that it affected your thinking. So now, before you make decisions, you're kind of looking at kind of 100% of the the results and trying to understand it the best way that you can.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, You grew up within the ecosystem of a family business working in a variety of different roles from accounts payable, from making the beds in the hotel rooms, um, front desk to operations, and eventually, becoming the president and CEO of Easton's Group of Hotels and the Gupta Group. How did work in all these, working in all these different jobs uh, prepare you for your work today?
0: Oh, it's so interesting. So actually, Basil and I were just talking about this. I didn't like working as a kid, and I didn't like going to the office, and I hated being forced to go to the office because I never, I never really had a summer. And... What's interesting though is that once I, once I graduated from university and I was, I was now working full- time, I realized that I was, I was ahead of everybody in my class because I had learned professional skills. I had learned accounts payable. I was doing rent rolls at the age of 10 and, and evicting people. I didn't even know what the word eviction meant, but we were just taught, this is the rent, did they make the rent? If not you stamp it as, as evicted. And that's, that's what I was doing at the age of 10 and calling our super and saying, okay, so this unit's evicted, this unit's evicted." and I didn't even know what it meant. Right. But when you get older, you realize the professional skills that you learned, you, I would have started to learn that at the age of 20, but it just kind of put me ahead of the pack, I would say.
1: Right, right. I mean, it's, you know, my, so my parents also operate a family business that employs other family members, uh, and I've always admired their ability to do so because that is not an easy thing to do. And, you know, there are also a lot of extra layers that come with that, but also a lot of really wonderful things that can also come with that. Uh, in your experience, what are some of the biggest challenges that family businesses face today that other businesses don't, that are unique to family businesses? And really, how can families best deal with them
0: oh that's a three-hour conversation (laughs) i don't even know where to start with that um the challenges the challenges are that business is your life and life is business so no matter where you are with your family business is always going to come up it doesn't matter you're at the dinner table doesn't matter if you're at a family event doesn't matter if you're at a public event if business comes up business comes up and it's it's interesting because growing up we would try to you know tame my dad and tell him it's it's sunday it's family dinner let's not talk about business and now they're doing that to me and now they're saying you know reed do you want to talk about this now maybe we'll talk about it on monday so i think that that gets very difficult to manage to be honest and i find with a lot of friends that are in family business they don't like that they want the work-life balance i think with family business you kind of have to swallow the pill that there's not a lot of work-life balance for me, because I love what I do, it's, it's okay. And I, I'm also sort of the mediator in my family. So when when there are issues, I'm kind of the one that will step in and get everyone to see, every you know, everyone's side. Unless I'm the one that's upset, then it's over.
1: Yeah, yeah game <laughs> it's over. over, game it's, over. 100% is over. I guess also, too, because the discourse, there is a lot more discourse now around balance, around making mm-hmm. sure that you are, um, you know, giving time and energy to yourself as well as to your business, but being able to also balance the two. So, uh, you know, have you... Have you had any new kind of revelations, especially since the pandemic, uh, in terms of how to manage that balance and take time for yourself? And it's almost like kind of like the the um, airplane analogy where you, you put the mask on Yourself in order before you can put it on for others. So, how do you take care of yourself so in order to take care of your business and and your family members that are working with the business as well?
0: Absolutely, it's it's interesting that you use that analogy because that analogy is used on me all the time. Um, <laughs> in the sense of Reet's going to be the one that puts the mask on everybody else before she puts it on herself. Right. I'm I'm definitely that person. So I think and that's actually a lesson I learned during the pandemic because you know my, my parents are older and during the pandemic it was I felt like I had teenagers because I was trying to make sure they didn't leave the house and they didn't go to supermarket and they weren't listening and. It was it was just it was ridiculous, um, but it also did teach me that I also have to make sure that I take care of myself. Otherwise, I'm just going to be, you know, a nuisance to anybody around me. And so, in, in terms of doing that, I find that you know, once, once I'm home for a little bit, I'll actually put my phone away, and I won't have it attached to me. Um, I'm also that person that kind of loses my phone every day for hours at a time. So, so that also helps. Not gonna lie, um, my phone dies from time to time um, for hours on end as well. That also helps. Um, but honestly, joking aside, I have a lot of pastimes. I love watching basketball. I love to dance so I definitely make sure that I make time to do that because if you don't if you don't make yourself a priority in your own schedule no one else is gonna do that for you so at least weekly you have to do go go out to a class go out for a walk but you have to put yourself into your schedule and I don't I think all of us have the habit where we don't do that at all
1: yeah and I guess also if, if working and business is your joy it's important to also find other avenues of joy so that you're not just working all the time so too. they say
0: they, people tell me that all the time so they say so they
1: say um, and it's not just about also working with your family. I guess this is, could be a conversation about just working with people that you're close with. What's your advice for working with either your family or just even good friends in a business? Um, and do you recommend it? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you start the conversation with someone if, if someone wants to start a business and it's your good friend? What are the considerations that people should have in these kinds of scenarios.
0: Absolutely, you know, a lot of people would say, don't do business with your friends, don't do business with your family, but I'm, maybe I'm biased or maybe I've, I've kind of figured out a little bit. The most important thing is to listen. And I think a lot of times, especially with family members, you just, you, you want to be heard, but you don't want to listen. And I find, and I see that with my family, they'll argue. And honestly, my dad and my brother, they'll, they'll argue, or me, my dad will argue. But what I'm kind of learning as I get older is you need to be able to listen. And if you're able to listen to the other side, you'll, you'll be able to get along, because there's always a solution in what you're talking about. And I think the other part of it is taking out that ego. It's not about who's right. It's about what's right. So it's not about, I had the best idea, but is it the best idea for the business? It's not about, was my dad right, or my brother right or was I right but it's is this the right decision for the business and I think when you can focus on that you can work with anybody you just really have to take the take the ego out of it
1: yeah and taking your, yourself out of the, yes, the situation absolutely um, we're, so we're sitting here at the newly opened canopy by Hilton Toronto York the hotel which is the 30th property uh, if I'm correct for the Gupta group making it the largest private hotel development corporation in Canada What's also impressive is that you and your team were able to build this hotel despite the challenges that came with the pandemic. Working in the real estate sector, whether commercial or residential, uh, means you have to be very nimble against, you know, very volatile kind of scenarios and market conditions. Um, how do you stay agile as a business uh, with such a large portfolio? How do you embrace kind of the mindset of a speedboat even if you are a cruise letter, you know?
0: You know what's interesting? So we tend to especially during times of uncertainty, we've always opened hotels. So in 2009, during the recession, we opened a hotel downtown. And then during COVID, we opened a hotel, then naturally we opened this as soon as COVID was over. And I think for us, I mean, the main thing is that you obviously, you have to have savings, you have to have a plan, and you have to have a strategy. If there's no strategy, your, your business is not gonna go anywhere. And as you said, you have to be agile, you have to be able to, you know, they say pivot. For us, it wasn't about pivoting, it was about standing ground and making sure that, okay, so we had this hotel that was already under construction once COVID hit. There, in, in my family's mind, there was no option to stop. There was no. There was no option to stop construction and and postpone because when you postpone, that comes with costs as well. So even with our hotel portfolio, we kept about eighty percent of our hotels open. Um, and for me, the, the main cause of that was to make sure that we keep jobs, we keep people working, and we also let our team know and the industry know that we're here to stay. We're not. We're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that has to be a part of your long-term strategy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, there are people in this room that are passionate about working in Real estate that also do work in real estate but may feel discouraged or overwhelmed by everything that's going on. What would you say to them or anyone um, about entering and working in this specific sector um, and, and, you know, in terms of, of pursuing that path uh, despite? The things that are happening? Or, or what would you consider, I guess?
0: Sure. So, I mean, with real estate, there's always ups and downs. And I think real estate is one of the best investments that you can make. A lot of the people, and if you look at kind of the world's billionaires, they probably started their portfolio with a portfolio of real estate because it's, it's just one of those things. There's going to be ups and downs. But if you can get in, especially on a downturn, let yourself get in because when you're on the upturn, you're going to do amazing. So it definitely takes, you know, bravery. It takes courage, but it's absolutely worth it.
1: And what do you think is, you know, building on your portfolio, like what do you think is, has been like the through line and the key to building a portfolio of properties that you and your team oversees? What's the the connecting thread between all of them?
0: You know, the connecting thread, I would say, is our team. Our team is amazing. So we have hotels kind of, if you looked at our hotels, you might think that there isn't a strategy because we had one in Sudbury. We have Thunder Bay. We have Montreal, uh, North York, Mississauga. We have a few in Texas, but for us, we look at the quality of the location, we look at the quality of the team, we look at the quality of the building and the brand. and that's what kind of links us all. and, and all of our hotels with our team, we, we treat everyone as family. So our, our main connecting strategy is always that, that family element, and can we bring that family element into this property?
1: And about, you know speaking about embracing like that family element, um, you know obviously it's, it's a family business, but why has it been important to remain a private? family business, a family-owned business, and you know, as the company has grown, have there been any temptations to enter into any M&A agreements and, and to, to you know, build and go into other companies and stuff? What, why has that been important for you guys to remain independent?
0: Great question. So the reason for us why it's important is that we want this to be multi-generational. And when you start bringing in partners and you do M&As, it's a little bit more difficult when you hit the second generation, the third generation. It's not as easy financially to be able to make that decision. So for us, most of our properties are 100% owned by us. There's a few where we do have partnerships, um, but that's you know our branding is that we're a family-owned business and, and the best part of family-owned business is you can make decisions really quickly. Mm. You can move really quickly. When you're partners, it's impossible to make decisions and it's impossible to do things fast.
1: Too many Chefs in the kitchen. A lot of bureaucracy, too. 100%. Yeah. Um, Previously, you penned a public letter to the Gupta Group database and larger community detailing your personal experience with racism, which eventually led to a working committee of industry professionals dedicated to combating racism in the uh, hospitality and tourism industry what have been some of the key takeaways and milestones that have been achieved and implemented um, as a result of that working committee and what have you really learned from that experience and and what have been kind of the positive outcomes from that
0: uh thank you for asking that question it w- it's it's kind of amazing actually so during the pandemic of course suddenly racism which i mean for people in the room that have experienced it you probably have experienced it your whole life people don't really talk about it then there was the death of george floyd and when i saw this i thought you know no one there's not enough people especially in hospitality speaking about racism so i wrote a public letter and i sent it everywhere i posted it everywhere and i just thought maybe other people in the hotel industry will read this and think there needs to be a change and also i mean if you looked at the industry years ago so maybe I'm old now, but so we'll say 15 years ago, there wasn't a lot of brown people. There wasn't a lot of color people. You didn't, you didn't see that in the industry. As we entered, there was absolutely racism. And, you know, we just dealt with it. You just keep moving forward. You don't, you don't ever let it stop you, right? Anyone that has experienced racism, that's just your mantra. You don't let it stop you. But seeing what was happening in the world, I thought someone needs to say something. Someone needs to do something. So when I, when I penned this letter, uh, the CEO of Hotelier Magazine, she reached out to me and she said, okay, she said, Ritu, we're gonna do something about this and we're gonna make this committee. So we did, we did a bunch of podcasts, we did a bunch of videos, and now we've actually put together sort of a platform that other hotels can use, that talk about how can you be diverse, how can you remain diverse, how can you be diverse without having the token person on your team, because that also irritates me. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's been amazing. So we've actually already rolled it out to a lot of hospitality companies, which has just been, it's, I mean, we have a long way to go. It's a blessing for sure, mm-hmm. but there's still so, so much more work that needs to be done.
1: What would you say? You know, are kind of some of the key pillars that are that make up the the um, the foundation of that of everything that the messaging mm-hmm. that you're sharing.
0: You know what? I think hiring is one of the most important things because I think a lot of people. So, for example, if you have a Caucasian GM. Most likely, from what I've seen, they're going to lean towards, without even realizing it, they say, unconscious bias, which I don't really agree with, that they might kind of, sorry, they might kind of um, hire people that look like them. And that is something that I even noticed in our own company 15 years back. And I would, you know, they would have three candidates and I would ask them why they weren't choosing the ethnic one. Why were not they choosing the female? And they didn't really have an answer. Their answer is now they kind of, because they were put in the spot and I constantly would tell our company from, from 15 years ago that it's not about hiring ethnic people. It's about hiring the best people for the job. And when you do that, you intrinsically create diversity. So that is sort of the crux of... Of this uh, document that's going to be rolled out to the industry, that diver- it's not about okay, well, you know, I have five people here and I need two brown people. That's that's not the way it works. If you start hiring based on ability, you will intrinsically create diversity.
1: And the other thing too, and there's a lot of like papers and and studies that have been you know published on it about the fact that like a more diverse team will mean that you have a diversity of perspectives and a diverse range of abilities to problem solve. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that's also contributes to the bottom line of a business. There's a business case for it as well as, you know, a a sociological kind of ethical case for it as well. So there's, it is a a win-win situation for everyone if if the efforts are made to do so.
0: Absolutely. It's a no-brainer. It doesn't make any sense why it's not happening.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, You previously committed the company's hiring practices to ensure that at least 60% of management roles are also filled by women. So when we talk about diversity, it's not just about, you know, hiring more people of color, but also more like gender diversity, as well as understanding that, you know, people like people from the queer community, the whole conversation around diversity. Mm -hmm. So where do those numbers stand for you today in terms of that commitment.
0: Uh, you know what? It's interesting. So I, I we we made this commitment. I mean, I think last year we kind of made it public. But prior to that, I was I I was, and I always will be a strong advocate, especially for women. You know, getting ahead in the workplace. And I think a few years ago, when I st- when I started, because I started, I mean, I've I was, I've obviously been an advocate for this since I've been in the company, and at Easton so on the on the hotel side we have we represent about 72 countries i think in management positions we have 80% female which is amazing oh. and it, and honestly it didn't i have to be honest it didn't happen because we tried it didn't happen because we said okay well we need a female here it happened because we opened everyone's mind to say okay hire the best person for the job and that's that's what happened
1: and when you say hiring the best person for the job that obviously requires eliminating the unconscious bias and also the barriers that result in you know people hiring from a pool of people that are familiar that they are familiar with or they're familiar with or are familiar with their kind of lived experiences as well. So, you know, what are kind of the guardrails that are being dismantled to ensure that you are kind of looking at um, candidates from a very equitable standpoint versus um, kind of a pool of people that reflect uh, you know hiring managers' lived experience
0: the one question I always ask is where are they looking for candidates? Because mm-hmm. most of the time you go to your network because it's the fastest thing to do. You go to your LinkedIn because it's the fastest thing to do. But more often than not, you won't see that diversity. So I'll always make sure that, okay, are you are you going to one, two or three sources? for a pool of people, because that's when you'll see more of a diverse nature of candidates.
1: Yeah, because otherwise it ends up just being a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, There's also an argument that has been used many times that the pipeline for talent when it comes to hiring more women and diverse employees just isn't there to fill management roles obviously you have, I'm sure there's many things that you could say to that, but what, what's the first thing that comes to mind? When...
0: That is completely incorrect. <laughs> and I think you also have to make sure that you're allowing women to stand up and say, hey, I would like to be a part of this position, or I would like to enroll in this position. I think a lot of companies, they don't they don't allow that voice. They don't allow people to stand up and say, hey, by the way, I would like to be part of this. I would like to be part of this company. I would like to have this position. They don't have that open conversation. At our company, I always make sure, you, know, whenever, you can always tell when someone has ambition, and I'll try to pinpoint them out and just have a conversation. What do you want to do? Where, where do you want to be in five years? What do you want to be when you grow up kind of thing? Because that's where you'll find, A, you'll find the rising stars, and you'll also be able to say, okay, this person wants to rise. How can I help them do that?
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. So you're also the co-founder and chief strategy officer of Rogue Insight Capital Limited, uh, the private VC arm of the Gupta Group, which invests in Canadian startups with female and or minority leadership. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of the businesses that you've invested in and also the overall focus that dictates the investment strategy?
0: Absolutely. So the focus is minority and diverse founders, um, and especially Canadian. That is that is what we look at. So one of our one of our first companies was a Canadian company called PyroWave, and they found a way to recycle styrofoam, which was amazing. Um, there's another company called Barwell. I was speaking to you about Barwell today, and again, uh, founders are diverse. So that's that's always what we're what we're looking at.
1: Right. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of my next question was like, what are some of the success stories that have come out of the the company that the companies that you have invested? And in? I guess what are how are you measuring impact and success in those scenarios?
0: You know what's interesting? So for us, it's, not, it's, not, it's more of a long-term game, so we're not looking at, okay, so we, we want to invest in the startup and we're hoping to flip it you know, by a series B. It's more so we believe in our founders and we want to see them do well and we want to see them expand and achieve their dreams. So for us, we've, we've invested in companies like Bar, Barwell, Pyrowave, they're doing amazing. And that's, that's what we want to see. We just want to help these companies achieve their, achieve their dreams.
1: Um, As we kind of wind up the interview as well, over the course of your career, what are some things that still surprise you? Or do things surprise you still? Or have you seen everything? Um, What surprises you still about the business and working and building?
0: Uh, You know what, what surprises me still is that the, the city, so for us here at the City of Toronto, they're still not working very well, the developers, and the, you know they, they put a lot of taxes on us, they put a lot of these rules and regulations, and it's, so, it's very beyond me because we're, you know, you're creating an industry, you're creating jobs, you're creating a, a, amazing money for the city, but they still put in all of, these, all of these rules and regulations, and that always, no matter what, every hotel, it'll always surprise me.
1: Hmm. Interesting and and i guess throughout your your career did you always have a very strong idea of who you were your identity as an entrepreneur your identity as a business leader or how has that evolution if not how has that evolution kind of manifested throughout the years
0: you know it's interesting my mom really taught me confidence and even at a very very young age she was always you know i i i love to wear color i love to wear big jewelry and it's when even when I was a kid, I, it didn't. I, my mom tells this joke all the time that she would find me in her closet wearing pounds of makeup and all of her jewelry. And when she would come to my closet, I would look at my mom and say, What are you doing here? Like, why are you in my closet? And she tells the story all the time. And I think for me, that, that level of confidence has definitely come from my parents. And in terms of identity, I definitely, I mean, identify my pronouns are she, her, I identify as, as being a woman, I identify as being South Asian, I identify as being born in Scarborough, and th- those things have never changed. So no matter, no matter where I am, no matter you know, if I was CEO, if I was you know, CSO, or even when I was working as, as an admin assistant, those things are so, are so true to me, and I, I love to be true to that, because I think, for me, I love being a woman, and the world is going to know that we are here to stay.
1: Um. And obviously, that's very much reflected through your work in building up and, and, and celebrating and lifting up other women in the community and in the business community. Um, you spoke earlier about building a kind of multi-generational, a multi-generational business. And so within that context, what, what does legacy mean to you? How do you define it? Um, and has that definition changed over the years as well?
0: Mm, I wouldn't say the definition has changed the definition for me has always been the same and for me the legacy is not going to be just the hotels or the properties or the real estate but it's going to be how much good did we do and did we give back so for me I, I hope that in all the generations to come that the the legacy behind our name is going to be the people that we helped and the the good that we did in the world because I think that's really truly the only way that you can actually create a legacy
1: yeah and I mean, that's a perfect segue to my kind of last question. We really usually uh, try to tail off our interviews by talking about mission and purpose because that is really the overarching kind of um, theme of the podcast and also just our, our own mandate too. But what is your overall mission? What's your purpose in a personal standpoint, but also from a business standpoint?
0: Um, I think my mission here on earth is to spread love. That is that is what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. In, in business, it's definitely going to be um, just about giving back. So this is why, I, I mean, two years ago, I took over my family's foundation for this reason. I wanted to give back, and I wanted to ensure that not just my generation, but the generations after, they continue to give back. And, and I'm hoping that we can do that. And We, we support Princess Market Hospital. We support the MLSC Launchpad. I'm not sure if you're, if you're all aware of that. Um, I have a project in Egypt where we're doing sort of microfinance projects for women to start their own businesses. Um, we helped Jamaica, India during COVID. So it's, it's just one of those things for me. If I'm not giving back, I don't feel like myself. It's just something that, I, that it, my soul just, just needs to do.
1: And opportunities for sustainable growth and, 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 and sustainable opportunities, I guess, mm-hmm. too. Um, last question. What really kind of excites you the most about the road ahead? The future.
0: Hotels, for sure. This <laughs> hotel, because we just opened it. and The team is amazing. The property is amazing. So I hope you all will come back and you'll stay with us and you'll eat with us. Definitely hotels will always excite me the most.
1: Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for the thank chat. You. That was a wonderful chat and like thank learned so a lot in a short amount of time. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked, who you'd like to see on the show, and anything else you want to share. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, ask yourself what's your mission?